In and Out. That's an interesting title. <laughs> In and Out. This message is a family message, and it's really just sharing the importance of what we put in and what God helps us to recognize that we need to put in is a very important part of what's going to come out. And so we're living in a world right now that is very quickly degenerating. Is that pretty obvious? <laughs> and there's certainly an agenda that's out there that's very plain and that it's trying to push for moral degeneration. And much of that is targeted at the family. And so tonight we're just going to, to be sharing together. Uh, we've been reading, uh, going back and to the very beginning again with the Bible. We've done this over the years several times. We're going back, and every time we go back and reread the Bible, we do it in a little different way, and this time we're doing it as we do the Bible, as we read the Bible, we're often looking at different versions of the Bible as we're reading through, and then we're following with the inspired commentary. Uh, right now we're back near the beginning, Patriarchs and Prophets. And it's amazing when we're focusing on something and reflecting on something like what we put in and then what we're going to get out in our family, it gives a whole new dynamic to the story of Abraham, for example, and the story of Lot. And we're going to talk a little bit about that contrast of what they went through and what they put in and what came out as a result. We can never exhaust the wisdom of God's Word. That's what's so exciting about it. It's fresh every time we go back and look at very familiar passages, maybe some we've memorized, very familiar stories that we can recite, and yet there are so many lessons that keep, in, in our experience, we keep peeling off layer after layer after layer. And some people would think, well, why would this be important to you at your age and stage of life? Because we're still a family here. Amen. The two of us, we're still a family, right? So you kind of like each other. We love each other. <laughs> That's right. But you don't just have to have children. We're all a part of the family. And so as we've gone back, we have found some of the most dynamic and powerful principles for raising families and for relationships that we have seen in the very beginning of the scriptures, especially in relation to parenting. Even though this isn't a parenting message tonight, it is a family message. So it's for all of us here tonight. And I say we're a family of two. That is true, but we're really a family of three. My 90-year-old mother lives with us, and she's very much a part of the family. Amen. So that she has truly been a blessing. And even as recent as just a week or two ago, she started sharing something that I had never heard in my life from way back in her early life. So we can still be learning and gleaning from that. So as my husband mentioned, we're going to be looking at the message tonight in and out, 
in and out through the example of Abraham. God's call to Abraham. So this message is based on Genesis chapters 13 through 18. And we're not going to go through and read it all, but we encourage you after the presentation, maybe for your evening before going to bedtime, your morning devotions, go back and look at that and see what other beautiful nuggets you can dig up in regards to God working with us as families. So God's call to Abraham. Now put yourself in Abraham's place. Dads and moms, okay? Put yourself in Abraham's place. He's living in his homeland. He's comfortable there. It's all he's ever known. And God gives him a special message. What was that message? I want you to pack up your household, and I want you to move. How many of you have ever moved before? Let me see your hands. Okay. Now, how many of you moved, but you had no clue where you were going as you're driving away? It's a little different situation. Well, there's a couple, but that's pretty rare, right? And at least in our understanding, we have some kind of knowledge or direction. The only thing that Abraham knew is that he, was, he knew the voice of God and was following it. And he was living, he had living faith in that experience. So he left behind that which was familiar. He left behind that which was easy, comfortable, profitable, promising, and popular. That puts a different focus on it. Because we know the end of the story, right? He didn't know the end of the story. All he knew is that God called him. And he listened to the call, and all of those things that he was leaving behind did not matter to him. What mattered to him is that he was going to follow God. So God was preparing Abraham for what he needed to do in Abraham, and what he needed to prepare Abraham to do in his family. And Lot was actually a, a beneficiary. He was, he was benefiting from the faith of Abraham and Abraham's willingness to step out. We went through an experience like this ourselves when God put it in our hearts to move from the suburbs of Chicago, where we were very comfortable. We had very good medical careers, and we had a very young family. When God called us out, it was certainly nothing like the call of Abraham, but I can tell you it was a big stretch of faith. When Abraham was called out, he was called out to what appeared to be a life of hardship, of self-sacrifice, and self-denial. Do those sound pleasant and inviting? Like, rah, rah, rah. (laughs) We just really like that. None of us really like that. And I can tell you that we have often said, and we said it when God moved us out to Montana, we are so thankful that he didn't tell us or show us, because sometimes we like to know the future. All we had was the promise, okay? Abraham had a promise, but we are glad we didn't know some of the things that we were going to go through when we went out there. And certainly we experienced all of those things that Abraham experienced. And any time we choose to follow the Lord... I'm not sure we experienced all the things Abraham experienced. No, what I mean by that is hardship, sacrifice, and self-denial. There you go. I agree with that. (laughs) Not the rest, no. Because we we uh, we had it more comfortable. At least we knew where we were going, right? 
Right. At least we knew where we were going to end up in Montana and where we were going to live at least temporarily till we built our home. But God has a purpose in everyone's life here tonight. Every one of us are part of a family and every one of us have been created with a mission that God wants to use us to fulfill. And so individually that's true. As a couple that's true. As a family that's true. So none of us have nothing to do for God. All of us have something to do for God. But God wants to infuse in us so that he can What's the other word? To get out of us. Not infuse, but I was going to say exfuse, but I think I would make that E-fuse. word. Up. Efuse. Thank you. I was going to make up a new word, exfuse. So anyway, efuse out of us what that is. So anyway, God wants each of us to focus on the in, infilling so that he can, as we fill, be able to spill over and flow out of the experience to be a blessing to others because we're not here just in this life to get ourselves to the heavenly kingdom. We're here to be vessels in the hands of God to get as many brothers and sisters, friends, relatives, even strangers to encourage them to come along and be there with us. You know, when we went out the first year, and I, even as we think back on this, we think, how did we do this? But the first year we went out, I made, money-wise, $1,300. $1,300. And we lived on $300 a month for 12 months. That was 1986. Now, things were less expensive back then. But the very things that, some of the things that Abraham went through, we, we went through in a small way. That's right. He was removed from much of his human influence and the aid of those that he was dependent on. He developed a dependence upon God alone through what he went through. He was able to train and educate his family in the atmosphere that God chose for him, and he was able to preserve the truth according to God's will in his life. Now, <clears throat> we went through some of this, you know, hardship or self-denial, but I can tell you that we never regretted moving That's right. to the mountains of Montana. It was one of the greatest blessings of our life experience. So God has wants to reach in into our hearts, and he wants to flow out of our hearts. So in and out, in and out. And as we look at the example of Abraham, that's what we see illustrated in his life. If you go back and you read through those chapters in Genesis chapters 13 through 18, you will see how God used Abraham specifically after he got him away from his comfortable lifestyle and all the things that he, he was familiar with and put him in a strange land to sojourn there. And in that experience, the, the experience he had sharing with, the, with others there in this new land, the blessings that God had given him. 
And as we look back through the, the historical account of Abraham, he was called a righteous man, wasn't he? And all the people around him, the tribes, the other nations around there, they all respected him. They all knew about his God who he served. Is that the way it is in our communities? Is that the way it is with your next door neighbors? These are questions we need to be thinking about in our own lives. The most precious legacy that Abraham could leave was to fill in his household, to help instill in all those members of his household, this is even before the promised child was brought, the legacy of having a faith, a living faith, in the one and only true God. And friends, that's our mission in our homes, to instill that legacy, to be a vessel in the hands of God, to instill that legacy into our offspring that as they go out and launch into life, that that becomes not only a guiding principle in their own heart and in their own home, but that then becomes something that flows out from them to others that our lives will never touch. Now, fast forward, because... A lot benefited, as we said, from the experience and the faith of Abraham. Abraham was a, a man who trusted God. Lot and Abraham became so successful under the guidance of God's plan that they couldn't dwell together in the same area anymore. Graciously, Abraham offered to his nephew Lot the first option. Where would you like to go? And Lot chose what many choose today, and that was Lot chose to find the fastest way to make money, the easiest, most comfortable life. And I want you to reflect for a moment or recognize for a moment that while Abraham, <clears throat> excuse me, became father of the faithful through what he went through, and we know that whole picture in the lineage of Christ, sadly, Lot chose to go to the valley of Sodom. And what happened there was a horrendous experience for a family to go through. If you can imagine what it was like the night that the angels said, do you have anybody else, any other family in this town? Of course, they already knew the answer. And Lot went and pled with some of his family members who were already married. And they had so much immersed themselves in the lifestyle of that comfortable, full of idleness kind of situation and culture that they all rejected the plea. Lot's wife did not want to leave her children. How many mothers would want to leave your children if you knew tonight was the last chance? I mean, sometimes we don't enter into these stories and so the angels literally had to take them by the hand and lead Lot, his wife, and two daughters out. And the legacy that Lot left behind with what happened with his two daughters, his wife was turned to a pillar of salt. I am so deeply in love with my wife. And as we read through this account again, and I don't know how many times we've read through these accounts, but as we were focusing this time, in a different way, just to imagine your wife being turned into a pillar of salt, I don't think we can imagine that. But what a horrible experience, because she turned around. She still yearned, as, as understandably a mother would, for her children that were back there. 
But she turned around and too much of her heart was still there. He lost his wife. His daughters ended up bearing children that became a scourge to the children of Israel and warred against them even till today. Okay? That was his legacy because he chose what he wanted to put in, what he wanted to get. Now, Lot was a righteous man. Do you remember that? That's what the Bible says. Lot was a righteous man. So, but what did he end up with at the end of it because of what he chose to invest in and what he tried to do and what he ended up bringing out? It's a sad contrast. So, Philippians 2 verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. When you contrast Abraham and Lot, this story, and there's many of these stories through the Bible, Lot was looking on his own things, the way that many of us look on our own things, the way to live the the easiest way, the the way to make the money the easiest. And it says to look on the things of others. Abraham's whole experience, including more than a thousand servants in his house, was looking on the good, upbuilding the good in others, and that was the legacy that he was aiming for. When we're willing to make sacrifices, or what may feel like sacrifices, to do what God is asking us to do, to put into our family what needs to go in, what a harvest that we can reap by the grace of God. If we go the other direction, not looking on the things of others, because the best fruit is not just what goes in and we keep it like the Dead Sea, because we've been to the Dead Sea, we've been to the place where Sodom was, we've been to Zoar and seen the, the remnants of that city that was destroyed after Sodom is still there today. And it's quite impactive when you... <laughs> When you see that that's where Lot finally ended up, you know, getting to go that first time around until he went to the mountains, it's, it's quite a stark reality. But our ultimate goal is not just what we get in, because what we get in will bear fruit to what comes out to the glory of God. So our, our call then is to put in everything that is good and profitable, that is wholesome and holy, and let God help it to diffuse through us that he can bring it out of us first in our own home. Our first mission field is our own home. Our first mission field, even though our children are raised, our first mission field is still our own home. My mother and one another. And as we learn to continue to draw in, we learn how to pour forth our give back out, in and out, in and out, in and out. That is the message that God has for us. Christ had 30 years that he was pouring in, wasn't he? Pouring in the truth, getting to know his father in such a deep and intimate way, to learn from his mother the scrolls of the the Testament, of of the Old Testament. And during that process, it was not a stagnant 30 years in only. He received much in, but continued to sprinkle little bits here out, little bits there out, and as he got older and older, more and more came forth. 
And so that is the life that God has for us. Is it important where we live? Does that have an influence of what we put into us? It is important, and there's councils where we should live. And we have found the blessing of raising our family and continuing to have our family reside in the quiet beauty of God's nature. But it's more important on how we live. So if a family here or that's watching on the live stream doesn't have the privilege or hasn't had the opportunity to find a beautiful country place. And what I mean by beautiful is that it's beautiful because it's set apart from the busyness and hecticness and the worldliness that is all around us. It's, God will bring us to that, bring to that point. But what's most important is that we begin where we are to let God infuse within, into us because he wants to pour forth from us to be a blessing to others. So, we're going to be talking about two areas tonight in the family that are quite challenging to do this in. Not because it's hard or we don't want to, but because of the busyness of life, mm -hmm. the pressures that we allow to come on us, and the responsibilities that we take on sometimes obscure or diminish the importance of the work inward and then the work outward in our families. And so for us, with our family growing up, one of the things we began to do was to start having worship daily, morning and evening. Now, we had two presentations this morning on parenting. They were both, well, I shouldn't say this morning, two today, right? And they were both very powerful. And both couples emphasized, right, the importance of worship. Worship is not a requirement. It's, it, it is something that God asks us to do, okay? But it's not something that we check off the list like, okay, I did that and I did that. Worship is to be a time where we connect with God and grow a loving and a lovable relationship with him. Worship is a time that we look forward to. Worship is a time that we participate in and we enjoy and we share together and the outflow of that has an influence first in our own home and then to others. So we're going to be looking at that and also the area of family fun time, family recreation, family playtime. I don't know what you want to call it in your home, but this is another area that is greatly lacking in homes. We all know it's a good thing. How many of you, most of you, I think, were out on the field today, right? That second activity we did after the freeze tag was over, we had a lot of people not participating in the freeze tag, right? Because some of us needed to be the boundary lines, right? We were participating in very important roles. So we were participatory. But when we brought the balls out, and we grouped you as families. I wished you could have seen what we saw standing back, watching all of you be creative on how to move the ball across the field and back, and the joy that was on everyone's face, the smiles, the happiness, the laughter from the older people to the little ones. Very creative. Some of that, I think, was Caleb caught with the camera and with the little thingy that goes around up in the air. What do you call that thing? A drone, thank you. 
I'm not techie. But anyway, it, it was just amazing. And it is just once again reiterated or reinforced how important it is that we take time to play together with our families. So this idea of we're just picking two areas that, that are, we feel are very important, uh, foundational for the binding the hearts together. You know, inspiration says that the evening hours should be <clears throat> spent with the family. That seems so impossible in the generation that we live in today, and yet that was not counsel that is obsolete. We dedicated five, five, the, the five days of the week, Sunday through Thursday, that we would dedicate at least 30 minutes of time and recreation with our family. And it was an amazing thing to watch because when we gave that time to them, we found that they were much more naturally, and this does not come naturally, much more naturally willing to participate in things that we needed them to participate in to help in the whole, the family every part of the family, every chore of the family, every cleaning task of the family. But also what we found is that that recreation, as Wes and Marion mentioned this this morning, we can't just pretend like everything in life is going to be fun. And if you can't make it fun, then I don't want to do it, okay? No. Much of that recreation spilled over into helping families in our community helping someone who needed to get firewood and didn't have the resources or didn't have the truck or helping someone clean up their yard. I mean, we went into a, and this was a person that just lived down the road a few miles from us, and we noticed that trash was piling up in front of the house. That's not normal. Well, so we, we ended up getting to know the situation. Well, what I thought was so amazing about that, as we, as we continued to pour in with the idea that fun together, family fun time isn't just always playing, although that's a part of it, but family fun time is looking to be of service to others, bringing happiness, joy to other people. And it was one of our children, I think it was actually Josiah, as we were driving by this home, which we would drive by anytime we came to our home, and, you know, the big bags of trash are accumulating over periods of weeks and months. He said, he was just a little boy, and it was a Sabbath afternoon, and what we were going to do is color pictures and, or write a note of encouragement to somebody. And he chose that man. He's never met him before. He chose that man to color a picture for. I think he was six years old. Colored the picture, and then he said, I want to take it and give it to that man. Wow, that was pretty, pretty impactive on us. So we all loaded up as a family. We got in the truck and we went down there and knocked on the guy's door, you know, made our way through the, the debris. And that man was an old gentleman who lived by his house. He had lost his by wife by, by himself, not by his house, by himself. Lost his wife. And he was very old and could no longer, you know, get the trash because we didn't have trash pickup out in the country. You had to physically take your trash to a dump site. And he didn't have a way to do that, and he didn't know what else to do. So it was starting to just grow in his yard, literally, I mean the bags. 
And that's when the children had the idea, let's, let's go clean up this guy's yard. That'll be fun. Let's do this for fun. Let's do this for family fun time. Cleaning up somebody's yard. It was more than a 30-minute deal. It was a half a day, but it was fun. It was fun. And, and the fact that that came, shall I say, spontaneously was actually very meaningful for us coming from the children because they were catching the vision that, that life, recreation, and giving, when you're reaching out to somebody else, is very fulfilling, okay? Sometimes just fun isn't always as fulfilling, especially if that's the only focus. But the story has a, a very sad ending, but we are so thankful that we, we did what Josiah encouraged us to do because we went away on an international trip. And when we came back, that house was burned to the ground. And what was really tragic is that the man didn't get out and he was burned up in the house. But what a blessing. I mean, that's very sad. Yes. But that was very impactive on our family because it wasn't my idea. <laughs> Would have been a good idea. It wasn't her idea. It was one of the young people's idea that that would be fun. Did you hear that? <laughs> that would be fun to be able to help this man. And it all started with a simple picture to take to the man on the corner. So there are many things we can do to reach in and build in the characters of our children and then let God help us to have those flow from us. I know another thing that we did in our family was, especially at the holiday time, we always looked for people who were lonely, uh, outcasts, didn't have a place to go, didn't have family, friends, just kind of, you know, lonely people. And I can remember driving through the little town of Eureka, and there was an old gentleman there who always wore a red and black plaid jacket. And, you know, he was hunched over, and his hair was really long, and he just, he walked. He didn't have transportation. And it was one Christmas or Thanksgiving time as we were driving into town. We didn't go to town very often, but as we were driving in, we saw him. And Allison said, oh, let's stop and let's ask him if we, we can come pick him up and he'll come spend Thanksgiving with us. You know, they, our young people have a heart. And they are, not, they are not intimidated by what somebody looks like or how somebody smells or what they're condition of their clothes are. Sometimes we as older people, we might be a little more hesitant, but our children don't have those barriers. And so we did invite him. He declined, but we still were reaching out. And it's been amazing that just this year, as we talked with our, our middle daughter, Emily, she said to me on the phone, she was talking with me, I think, were you on the phone that night? No, I wasn't. Okay, just me. Anyway, she said, Mother, I remember how we used to invite families over for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I remember that the whole day was focused around making these people have, be a part of somebody's family and giving them food and, and playing with them. That we, we had so many people who came through our home during those years, and we would all, we'd take as many as who were willing, even the old, a different old gentleman, down the hill on the sled. A wild ride. They hadn't probably been on a sled in 50-some years, but they did it with the children. And she says, I remember that. And the other thing I remember is how we always looked to give something that we had, that we treasured, to give it to somebody else who didn't have so they could have the blessing. And she says, we wanted that in our home. And so this year for Christmas, we have found a family who 
has children similar ages as our children who don't have family in the area who are very poor and, and in need you know they don't have any friends no family and she said so I asked our children and she said Noella that's our oldest grandchild who just turned four right before Christmas she says I asked Noella what would, what would you like to give to that little girl in the family and Noella without hesitation went into the room and got her favorite toy and brought it out and her mom like all moms, you know, we might be subject to say, well, honey, that's your favorite toy. Like, kind of, are you sure you really want to do this? She just said, honey, that's your favorite toy. She was really wanting to see what was in her little girl's heart at four years old. And Noella looked at her mommy and she says, mommy, I've had so much fun playing with this. It's my favorite. I know that little girl is going to have just as much fun as I've had with it. And she gave it to her. That's what we're talking about, in and out, in and out. And so there's all kind of ways that we can be uh, God's servants, faith with feet, to reach out and share the love of Christ in, in ways that aren't necessarily inviting somebody to come to a, a prophecy seminar. We meet people where they are, we gain influence, and then we say, there's more to this than just what we've shared with you. You said faith with feet. That was a quote out of a letter that we received. Uh, you know, as, as Elaine was just sharing this about uh, Noella, I mean, it just brought tears to my eyes, partly because I'm thankful for that, that that's happening, but partly because it, it identifies sometimes that, that our, our, our selfishness that can be there, you know, that, are you sure you want to give her, give her that, you know, the, the favorite toy? But this letter that we received, and, and it was years ago. Mm -hmm. How many years ago? 1993. 1993. We got this I letter. I didn't bring it with And me. it was, we had it in special letters that, that we saved over the years. And in that letter, this person talked about faith with feet. Never had heard that expression before. And he said, you don't know this probably, but my daughter was at one of the camp meetings, and this is when they were called camp meetings back then, okay? And it seemed like nobody noticed her. It didn't seem like anybody cared for her. And she said, he said, one of your daughters came to her and engaged her and started specifically reaching out and he said you will never know and this gets me too okay you will never know how that changed the the direction of my daughter's life for life i mean no but that's why i got saved in a special archive okay this this is some of the fruit that you never know is going to happen and you don't do it to get fruit you do it because it's, you want that love to be passed down to your young people. You know, one of the things, this is not, not in the notes, but it's a very important one to me. Okay. One of the, one of the things that I've done for a, a number of years that has been a special thing, and some of you have heard this before, I, I kissed my wife after the blessing. It doesn't matter where we are. That kiss means something very special to her. It's, a, it's an expression of my love and gratitude for all that she's, she's done for our family, all that she does for me 
now at this age and stage in life. All that is in, in more is packed into that, that expression of love. But what was really touching is that the, the last two times, or the last time that each of our daughters have come with their families, their husbands, they're doing that now. The husband is kissing our daughters, okay? And that really, I said, are you doing that because we just kissed? Because that's what we do everywhere we are, okay? And I said, no, but, but we've been doing it because we like what that means to you, and we want to carry that on in our homes. And so now we have this tradition has ex expanded, so the, the husbands, they kiss their wife like we do at the, at the meal times after the blessing. Now all the grandchildren, we have five grandchildren now. We're loving that, by the way. We are loving this phase of life. And we are not indulgent grandparents, okay? <laughs> I would tend to be, but my wife keeps me on the straight and narrow, <laughs> okay? But now they all want to get a kiss from grandma and grandpa, okay? And you always ask them, yeah. so anybody want to kiss? I, I still say kiss. We don't see them that often. I said, so does anybody still need a kiss from grandma and grandpa? Oh, yeah, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> and so they always tell me how many we have to give them, and we go around the table giving kisses. But anyway, going back to the point is in and out, right? In and out. So we're influencing generation after generation after generation, even by the simple things that we do in our families. So we talked about the the area of having fun. And that is a very weak area in, the, in our homes. Very weak. So we actually need a volunteer family who are gonna help us here for a few minutes. So don't be hesitant, children. You have permission from us. If you want to be that family to raise your hand and see if we're looking for younger families, not somebody with the teenagers as necessarily, but like, somebody you know, 10, 10 and, under. and under. Yeah. Any young family with 10 and under wants, Who wants to, to be wants to come a up here and be in the spotlight. <laughs> it's really not going to hurt you. Okay, this young man, do you have your family with you? Are they going to all come with you? Are you? He's volunteering you, family. See, I see they can do it. Come on, you can do it. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. We're not telling you what to do, but it actually is going to be fun. And you're going to, and you're going to be glad you got, you got to come up here. And you all are going to have to be kind of quiet because they're going to have some fun with us up here for just a few minutes. Just a simple demonstration of a little activity up for here, some family fun. Come up. right on up. All the way to the top here. Okay. Under the bright lights. <laughs> and you get to feel how hot these lights are up here. <laughs> so, we're going to go over here. Come right over here, right up here. Right here. Volunteer. Now, you were the one I saw put your, uh, your hand up, right? What's your name? Robert Caleb. Robert Caleb? Okay, and how old are you? Eight. And you volunteered your entire family. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What do you think about that, Dad? Caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, well, I don't know if you do family fun time at home, but we're going to let you do it with us here tonight. So how many of you out there know what a thimble is? Put your hand up if you know what a thimble is. Wow, do you all know what a thimble is? Put your hand up if you know what a thimble is. Okay, okay. We're, going to, we're going to educate those. You're supposed to put it up so they can put oh, it on the camera. There's a thimble. There's a thimble. There's a zoom in on that. A thimble, Robert, is something that a lady or a man puts on their finger when they're sewing with a sewing needle. Has your mother ever sewed a button back on, a coat or anything? No. Yes. 
Oh yes, okay. Well, sometimes women put these on their finger, or whoever's doing the sewing. My husband sews some too, so he would put a. I took home ec. He put a thimble on his finger so that when he puts the needle through, if it slips, it won't poke a hole in his finger. Have you ever got stuck with a needle before? Yes, it's fun. <laughs> okay. So there's another form of fun Okay, here. so up here on this stage is a thimble, just like the one on my finger. It's in plain sight, but you have to find it. This is a game. You can get started, all of Go you. Ahead. Moms, dads, you need to, you need children, to find young it. children, older yeah, children. So you start this searching. This is a family activity. We do this at it's our home. It's in plain home. sight. It's good for all ages. It's not on her finger. She, she has a duplicate that's okay. yes. not on her finger. So what you do is you're actually having fun and you're teaching principles. You're teaching thoroughness, Oh, look at that. Look at this. So oh, you knew what a thimble a... was, huh? All right. Good job. Now, so have you ever done any sewing? No. You know what it is? A thimble. Yeah, but you know what sewing is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So what's your name? Marlon. Marlon. Okay, and how old are you? 16. 16. Okay, so you had keen eyesight, right? Did you see it when you came up on the stage? You actually had to look a little bit, right? Okay, so in the home, now at home there's a lot more places you can hide it, right? It has to be in plain sight, but it can be somewhat discreetly in sight. In other words, it wasn't buried. You could look carefully and find it. He actually found it under the piano. But at home, you have lots more places. So what the game is, is that you would be the next one to hide it. And you have a designated area. We just simply used our living room. And the rest of us would close our ears and eyes so we couldn't hear where he went, wouldn't peek. This is a game of yeah, honesty. No peeking. No peeking. <laughs> and then he would hide it, and when he would be finished, he would say, I'm, I'm ready. And then you all would have to find it. And we have done this in our home, and this has actually taken, we've enjoyed it for over an hour with all of us playing, and even the grandparents play sometime. So it's, it's really a lot of fun. And then whoever finds it next say your sister found it, she would be the next one to get to hide it. And then we work our way through, and if somebody just couldn't find it, maybe one of the older ones would help them to guide them to be more diligent, more persevering, and then everybody could have a turn. It's really a lot of fun. You're pretty excited about this, aren't you? <laughs> yeah? yeah. Mm, yes. I'll tell you what. You can take that home, Marlon, and you can be the one to initiate the next family fun time, Hide the Thimble. That's our gift to you. All right, thank you. You can share it with thank your family. You. <laughs> we wish we had time to really do it up good, but you get the point, right? And it's, it's harder than it looks like. And did you notice that it kind of sounded like we're doing this for Robert, right? But did you notice that everybody got engaged right away, right? So it is fun for all of us. That's right. So family fun time. We're not out of time, huh? Yeah. Okay. One of the other things that we did is a very special part of our evenings, okay? And that was story time. And that's another, can't put a value on the blessing that was in our home. And normally I would be the reader, and we would sit around, and this is a story I'm going to read to you tonight. It's a short story. But these are, are stories worth rereading. That's a quote, okay? From a book that was originally published back in 1913. How many have the book, Stories Worth Rereading? 
Oh, very good. Okay. Stories worth reading. So a lot of you don't have your hands up, and the ABC has plenty of them, because I gave them the heads up ahead of time. So they brought a whole supply, and they are powerful stories, because they're taken from the old time that has a lot of character building principles in them. Many of the stories written for children today don't have very many values or principles or character qualities in them at all. They're more about fun and foolishness, and they're very little depth of what children can learn. So these were the stories that were being printed for children back in the early 1900s that were for children of ages 5, 6, 10, 12, 14, to take them all in. And as he reads it tonight, you are all going to be part of our family in our living room. Can you imagine that? We're all squeezing into our living room tonight, and we're going to have story time. And this story is called A Gold Medal. I shall never forget the lesson I learned in school. We saw a boy named Watson driving a cow to a pasture. How do you drive a cow, children? It's not like driving a car, okay? Driving a cow, it means guiding the cow, getting the cow to go in the direction you want the cow to go. I used to do that on the farm. I was raised on a farm. So, He's driving the cow. He would drive her back in the evening, and no one knew where he was going or where he had come from. This continued for several weeks. The boys attending the school were nearly all the sons of wealthy parents, and some of them were ignorant enough to look with disdain. That means to look down. One of the things I did when I read to our children is I tried to explain words that were not real you know, regular common words. They would look with disdain or look down on a student who would be low enough to drive a cow. But with admirable good nature, Watson bore all their attempts to make fun of him and annoy him. I suppose, Watson, said Jackson, another boy one day, I suppose that your father intends to make a milkman out of you. Why not, asked Watson, oh, nothing. Only don't leave much water in the cans after you rinse them. That's all. And all the boys laughed at Watson. But Watson was not the least bit troubled by their laughter. Never fear. If ever I am a milkman, I'll give a good measure and good milk. The day after this conversation, there was a public examination. Back in those days, they, in the schools, the teachers would do a public exam where they would have the students stand up in front of the class and the parents would come in and the community was welcome to come in and find out how they were learning. And so they had this public examination where awards were being given out. Both Watson and Jackson received many of the, the awards, for they were very good students. So, after the awards were given, the principal said, there is yet one prize, a gold medal, which is rarely ever awarded. Not because it costs so much, but because it was rare that anyone demonstrated heroism to receive this award. Heroism, what is that? Anybody, you younger children, do you know what a hero is? 
I used to think my dad was a hero. That means somebody that does something very unusual and very special. And so that's the kind of person, because of what they did, that would receive the gold medal. That gold medal had not been awarded for over three years. And the last time that it was given out was to one of the boys in the first class, three years before, who saved a girl who was drowning. You know what that is? She had gone into the water and she couldn't swim and she was sinking and she was dying and that boy saved her and he got the gold medal for heroism. Then the principal began to, shore, to share this story. Not long ago, some boys were flying a kite in the street just as a poor boy on a horse, on a horse was riding by on his way to the mill. The horse became frightened and threw the boy, injuring him so badly that he was carried home and confined in his bed for weeks. Of the boys who had unintentionally caused this disaster, none ever cared enough to find out what happened to the boy. But there was one boy, however, who saw this accident happen from a distance, who not only found out what happened to the boy, but decided he would do something to help and make a difference. And so, this boy soon learned that the injured boy was the grandson of a poor widow lady, whose only way to earn money was to sell the milk of that cow. She was old and crippled, and now her grandson, on whom she depended to drive her cow to the pasture and back, was helpless and injured. And this boy said, don't worry, I will drive your cow for you. But his kindness did not stop there. Money was needed for medicines for the boy. I have money that my mother sent to me to buy boots with. He said, but I can do without them for a while. Oh, no, said the old woman. I can't consent to that. But here is a pair of heavy boots that I bought for Thomas. And he can't wear them now. If only you would buy these boots, we would get by very nicely. And so the boy bought those boots, clumsy as they were, and he was wearing them up to this time. Well, th when it was discovered by the other boys at school that our student was in the habit of driving a cow, they teased him. They made fun of him every day. They laughed at his boots, especially laughed at his boots. But he kept cheerfully on and bravely day after day, never trying to hide from them what he was doing, driving the widow's cow and wearing the thick boots. He never complained. He never tried to explain why he was driving the cow because he was not trying to get praise from anyone else. It was by providence that his kindness and his self-denial were discovered by his teacher. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you, was this not true heroism in this boy's conduct? And now, Master Watson, you were not afraid to be ridiculed for what you did, 
I say to you today, do not be afraid to receive appreciation for what you did today. And as Watson came forward, blushing, the people broke out in applause and pleasure because the medal was being given to a true hero in what Watson did. These kind of stories are very, well, they're, they're just not the kind of things that you typically get in today's culture. And these were th stories that we would read evening after evening, especially on the cold winter nights with the fire burning. <laughs> and there's a lot of great memories in this. Binds the hearts of the family together. Then after we were done, we would go through each of the, the characters in the story and help our children to understand what Watson was going through. Children, has anybody ever made fun of you? Can you put your hand up if you've ever been made fun of? How about you parents? Have you ever been made fun of? Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever made fun of somebody else? Because maybe they looked a little different, or they wore big, big old boots that didn't fit them. Or they're driving a cow. Maybe you don't see anybody driving a cow, but maybe they're driving something that looks not nice or that's odd. Sometimes we, we make fun of people, but we really want to help our children to learn that all of us, God loves every one of us equally. And it doesn't matter what we do or what, what, what we wear or where we live, God loves us all equally. And try to help our children capture the essence of these deep and powerful stories that teach very valuable moral and character building lessons. These were the kind of stories that we would read and talk about and bring it right to home. Well, how, how about when you make fun of your brother when he does something wrong? Or how about when you make fun of your sister? That's what these other boys were doing to Watson. Was that a good thing? And how did Watson respond? Notice in the story, he never defended himself. He never talked about what he, why he was doing what he was doing. He had a good spirit about it, right? Today, if children are made fun of, everybody comes to the rescue and tries to defend, but we need to help our children learn how to take ridicule and, and those kind of things and how to respond to that. That was the example that Christ had. He never retaliated. He never justified himself. He always gave back a sweet response for everything that was coming at him to try to trip him up or to be negative or to demean him or to make him, even when they called him, you know, thy father is the devil. He never tried to defend his self. He always gave a positive response. So we try to bring these lessons home to the children. And as we read stories like this, in addition to our worship time, which was covered very well this morning in the presentation about the content of worship and the importance of the stories, that's why we started with the story of Abraham, because we're drawing lessons that we might have missed before. But as we do that, we are putting in the quality things that will come back to the minds of our children, even as they grow into adult life, that will come back out to be a blessing to somebody else, they will receive that blessing in, and then they can pass it on and give it back out. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to have the opportunity to allow you to work in us, each one of us here tonight, to will and to do of your good pleasure 
not just so that we can have something happen to us, but that as you work in something important in our lives, that we can allow something of you to work out of us, to make a difference in the lives of, first, our own family, our own marriage. That mission field that is so often neglected because of the push and press of life. Oh, Lord, help us to take time day by day, morning by morning, to allow you to put something that we need in so that we have something that comes out right. Because it's so easy to, to be turned away from that time with you and we don't turn out very good and we don't have good things come out of us if, if we don't allow you to put them into us. So put, put it in our hearts individually. Put it in our marriages. Put it in our parenting. Put it in the hearts of our children so that something good, something beautiful can come out for you and for the blessing of others. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.